Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Full-time ministry, 
in the missions arena through Mana International, and he was a, a friend of Lance's. Am I correct? Well, Lance, it was you that introduced us to to Craig, and and I remember still to this day uh, having that conversation with you and with that time your little boy um, at a at a Panera on on uh, North Kansas as we were just talking about you know how can we partner together? Got to experience. Craig and his heart about uh, connecting to the world and connecting specifically to children and uh, and how as uh, one of the things Craig said and one of the things that we believe is that that when you when you address the needs of kids the families come along you know parents if they see their kids minister to they're going to be a little bit more open than if we're just going right after parents and uh, and so Craig specifically uh, where where do you specifically work at or what's your region that you really spend a lot of your time focused on? Yeah, so I'm an assistant director for Asia. And so we have projects in almost every country throughout yeah. Asia. So um, me and a couple others of us with MANA uh, work in that region. I end up in Mongolia, Nepal, um, in uh, Cambodia, Thailand, Fiji, uh, the Philippines, kind of a little bit of all over. Yeah, so that's kind of, because there's a lot of new folks here, folks that did not meet Craig back, you know, five years ago when you first were introduced to us. Uh, tell us, how did you go from being a trained counselor, having a nice, safe, predictable middle-class existence in middle America, you know, family, and just your normal plans, to now all of a sudden you're dealing with orphanages and feeding centers in Nepal. Uh, uh, you you initially young married couple and what trip or tell us about how you yeah. found yourself traveling the world. Yeah, so my wife and I got married in 2005 and within a month or two of getting married, uh, we decided that we wanted to do something weird. Uh, we wanted to have sort of a pre-life retirement. It's um, kind of what we call it. Uh, this idea that you know we didn't want to wait till 65 and then go do all the fun things. We wanted to do it like right there, we're young. Right there, makes perfect sense to me. And uh, kind of kind of odd. Um, everybody <laughs> thought we were a little nuts, but we decided uh, within a month or two of getting married that it was a good idea to go work 60 or 70 hours a week each uh, to save all the money from our multiple jobs, and then at the end of two years to sell everything, quit everything go travel until the money ran out, and then come home and do normal life. And so we did. We, uh, we worked for two years. We saved all the money. Uh, we left the country in 20, uh, 2008. With just a couple of backpacks. With right? a couple of backpacks with some clothes in them, and that was about it. A laptop that weighed a million pounds back then. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we began to travel. We ended up going to 76 countries on six continents, and we traveled for 16 months, and then the money ran out. And we had to come back home. Yes. And, uh, and so it, it all started with this idea that we would go travel the world for us. Yeah. But along the way, God grabbed our hearts. I was just going to say that. You, you obviously had experiences of seeing whatever the southern wonders of the world and seeing things that many of us just saw. See, you say encyclopedias. Now we don't have encyclopedias. <laughs> see it on Wikipedia or whatever, right? See it on the internet. Uh, you had those experiences, no doubt. But there's also, you shared this in the first hour, and and I had never heard the story before. But Pastor Dave had. You had a an experience in Bali that God really used to to make a left turn in your life. Would you share with us that experience? 
Yeah, uh, Bali was uh, one of the most humbling and difficult seasons of life for me. Um, we we kind of heard about Bali in our travels and, and really didn't expect to go there. And uh, some people told us we needed to for sun, sand, and surf. And so we were sold. And uh, we bought flights there. And we landed in Bali and began to travel around. And uh, one day we were shopping uh, because Jennifer found out that they had sundresses in every shape, size, and color imaginable. And she had to try them all. And, uh, and we were going shop by shop by shop. And I went into a different shop than Jennifer. Uh, I'm kind of wandering around. And these two guys walk in. They walk to the back. They call the shopkeeper out. And they don't know you're there. Nobody sees me. Yeah. Nobody sees me. I'm a couple aisles over, kind of behind some stuff. And uh, people start speaking English. And you're in a foreign country. You pay attention. And so I did. And uh, I realized pretty quickly that these two guys, probably Australians, were uh, working out a deal with the shopkeeper to purchase two kids for the evening. Um, and uh, I was a small town Mississippi boy, never seen anything like that, never heard of anything like that, and it wrecked me. And uh, I, I ran out in the street, found Jennifer, and we searched for police, and there were none in that neighborhood, and we soon realized that they didn't want to have anything to do with those types of situations. They're probably likely paid off not to get involved in those situations so that those kids could be trafficked and abused. And God used that to open our eyes and our hearts to the needs of the world, and specifically to the needs of families and children within Asia who are in desperate need of lots of things as far as physical things that we all take for granted, but are in even more desperate need of the hope that comes only in Jesus. So it seems like there is there's opportunity for God just to whisper to you and Jennifer's heart about those incredible needs, and obviously that moment in Bali was a life-changing moment, but also I, I would assume that he was at work in both of your hearts as you're traveling around the, the world. So kind of in a really brief way, how did God just connect the dots for you and Jennifer about um, about giving your life to what we now know man? At the moment, you didn't know what that would be necessarily, but how did God kind of fuse all that together and then share how that led to actually Nepal being the focus of the guys' life. You know, we began to see needs. We began to open our eyes, really. I think up until that point, we were sort of just being tourists. We were traveling around and seeing the sights, doing the, the seven wonders yeah. type of thing. And then uh, God used that moment to open our eyes and our hearts to say, wait a minute, there's something much bigger than that. There's something much more important than that. And because we're from where we're from and have resources at our disposal, we're able to make a massive impact, really with a small sacrifice. And so we traveled to Nepal a couple months after Indonesia. Uh, we ended up uh, getting sick with altitude sickness there, and that sort of led us to a town that we didn't plan to go to. Uh, we found an orphanage there and began to volunteer because we were sort of too sick to do much else. And uh, through volunteering at this orphanage, we fell in love with a couple kids and started sponsoring them. We started to provide financially for their needs. And, uh, and Jesus you know, said that basically where our resources are, where our finances go, where we put, what we put our time into, our hearts, will also connect with them. That's exactly what happened. As we began to financially give and as we continue to do that today uh, to those kids and 
and supporting them. We've seen them profess faith in Christ. We've seen such incredible fruit in their lives. We've seen uh, lives changed all around that. But that forever connected us with the country of Nepal. God led us to two kids in Nepal that we could help. Uh, and I believe it was, uh, in a way, redemption for the two kids in Indonesia that we couldn't have. And so we, uh, we've been forever connected. Over the years, uh, we ended up moving up here. We were working in just business life, doing private practice counseling and things like that. And, uh, and God continued to show us that we could be a greater part. And in 2015, we finally said yes. Uh, we uh, sold everything again and packed up and started traveling. Now we believe that God had us sell out in the beginning, not only to get us there to see the need, but to prepare us to sell out again in 2015, this time just for him. It's an interesting in how God works. You think about the idea of of taking a break for a year and a half to just go travel the world. Very much an American thing, right? Very much, very few other uh, groups of people in the world would have the ability to say, well, let's just work really hard, save up money, and then expect that we have the freedom and we have the wherewithal to just travel the world. You know, what an American thing. You could argue that, you know, it's a borderline, you know, just it's about me, right? It's about me. It's about my experiences. It's about me attaining stuff that no one else necessarily does or can. And then God uses that in a way to take the focus off of me and put it on to this incredible me and to put it on specifically how he's at work in that area of the world and invite you how gracious is god to then invite you to join him in that work right so so the kids what are their names that you the first the two so, kids that you can asha and sagar and how old were they when you met them uh, so they were uh, eight and four asha was eight sagar was four. and so how old were so now they're 17 and 21 and uh, asha just turned 21 in december so you know here we are, uh, a year, year and a half ago, you know, we as a church had made a commitment. We were uh, taking a group uh, to go to Nepal. Uh, Annie was a part of that. I saw Annie around. Yeah, there, there you are, Annie. Annie was going to go on that trip. So was I. Another member was going to go on that trip. And we were serious. We were putting money in. You know, we were starting to, the process of just chipping away at that $2,000 or so price tag and uh, beginning the process of getting visas and all that stuff. And, working with Craig, and then all of a sudden, we start, long story short, we start hearing word that, hey, there's this there's this disease, there's this thing in China, and it's starting to spread, and you know, there's threats of maybe Nepal shutting down, and the uh, other guy, you know, called me, we were stay, sitting right there, you know, in early March, and he's like, hey, I, I'm signing up to go to Nepal for, for two weeks, I'm not signed up to go to Nepal for three months. And if I'm there and we get shut down, he's like, we can't do that, I can't do that. And uh, and and we just kind of like, hey, let's just pay attention. Let's just see what happens. We got plenty of time to make a decision. And pretty quickly, pretty quickly, the decision was made for us. We didn't have to make a decision. Uh, we didn't have a choice. And everything got shut down. And you guys had, golly, on your website, probably 40 mission trips scheduled at least as I was just scrolling down, and not only the trips to the east, but every trip all of a sudden got put on hold or just outright canceled. 
So how does an organization that your job and the job of man a lot of times is to connect people to mission projects across the world. The best way to connect them is to get them to go and see it with their eyes. And then all of a sudden, then resources start opening up for those things. How do you go from that kind of ministry to then doing something else to care for and, and to, to, to engage uh, dealing with lostness in the world and poverty in the world. What do you guys do during that season? How do you handle it? And what did you do to continue ministry? Yeah, in March, we had to take a deep breath <laughs> and, uh, and really look around. Um, we had to realize that God was still on the throne. Yeah, uh, that God was still going to be at work in the lives and parts of people, whether or not Hannah was doing it. But that if we, uh, if we chose correct direction and if we let God lead us in correct direction, um, then we could still get to be a part of it. And so as trips began to cancel and countries began to shut down, obviously uh, it became pretty obvious pretty quickly that we couldn't do mission trips. Uh, we hoped that it would blow over quickly, but it didn't. And, uh, and so we started to reach out to our partners because we have pastors and missionaries in 50 countries all over the world now. And we knew that if, if our need was great here, if times were tough here, if people were losing jobs here and were fearful here and, and things were shutting down here, then in the countries that we work in around the world, it was going to be that much more desperate there. Uh, because it was desperate before yeah, in ways that we can't even imagine. And so we started reaching out to partners and saying, hey, what can we do? And, uh, and uh, you know, for instance, we have orphanages. Obviously, those kids are still allowed to come there, but we could send funds so that they could go ahead and buy up food and the stuff that they needed in the beginning. We uh, have nutrition centers and schools and medical clinics and places where people weren't going to be allowed to go anymore. And we started to say, how can we get out to people? And so uh, in most places, uh, we were able to get permission, or our partners on the ground were, uh, to take the funds that MANA was sending them to buy the food, to get the resources, and to take those into families' homes, which is interesting. Uh, because generally, the, the families that we work with, the dad is working all day long, you know, 16, 18 hours a day often, uh, and, and is very rarely ever at home just to try to survive. Uh, and then all of a sudden, with the shutdown, the dads are at home. So our mission partners are usually reaching the kids first and then the moms. The dads are really hard to reach. But as a result of COVID, the dads were home because everything was shut down. And so our mission partners are, for the first time in many places, getting into these homes and telling these dads the story of the gospel and giving them hope in a crisis, yeah. in chaos. Yeah. And that's what God does. And so it's I, I, I find that very fascinating because, you know, obviously with COVID coming up, the world kind of came to a standstill. And, and for most times, for most churches, they didn't gather for a while. But what I'm hearing from you is that nothing stops God, right? We know that just through um, our own personal experiences and reading the scriptures, that God is always on the move. And he's going to use every opportunity possible. Even COVID seems like it was turned to a, a benefit for the gospel, right? So you said that most of the time you're ministering to the children, that's kind of like the doorway into homes and 
to family life, but you got to, um, your partners were able to spend time with the actual father. And if I'm not mistaken, in a place like Nepal and other places in Asia, um, if you have the dad um, open to the gospel, the entire family would be open to the gospel. So it seems to me like God is, was doing like a win-win situation there. Is there any other thing that you can see that there was like a, a God-wow moment in the past year? I mean, I think that's a huge God moment. Was there others that you can point to out of your ministry of what God was doing while we were kind of trying to figure out how to maneuver COVID on this side of the world? And, and, and Nepal and other places, what was God doing? Yeah, so um, one of our orphanages there in Nepal, um, just before the world shut down in March of last year, um, in January, we had had a church in Florida that raised money. They wanted to dig a water well at our orphanage. Uh, because we were having to buy tanker loads of water constantly. Uh, you got 35 kids and a bunch of adults there uh, helping out, and uh, you got to you, you run through a lot of water. And so they have these tanker loads coming constantly, filling up tanks for us. Great. You know, uh, I want to continue on the story, but Paul and I were working in the Paso Project in South America, Mexico, on well digging. Do you know what what would it cost? What does it cost to dig a well in Nepal? Yeah, it's about a ten thousand dollar project. That's about a ten thousand dollar project yeah. in Mexico too. It's about ten thousand dollars. Didn't mean to interrupt. I'm yeah. just curious. So continue yeah. off. Good. Um, and so this church provided the funds in January. The well was dug in February, and it marks the world shutdown. And what that meant in Nepal, we didn't really experience this here, but what that meant in Nepal was no vehicles were allowed to be on the road. Nobody was allowed to be out of their house. People were getting beaten in the streets by police because they were out of their house walking down the street to get groceries. Um, and so it was a hard shutdown. Um, and what that would have meant for our orphanages, they would not have been, and for the community around our orphanage, they would not have been able to get those water trucks in to be able to provide the water we needed. And so God's timing allowed us to dig this well in February. And by the beginning of March, when everything shut down, our well was producing enough water to provide water to the entire community around our orphanage. And so this Jesus community of kids in this orphanage that are, that are you know, they have this room on the top of the orphanage that they built there just for worship. And they go up there every night and they worship the same God that we worship. And they sing his praises, and that whole community can hear. And all of a sudden, they're singing his praises through living water that they're providing to the community around them. And so God is doing, uh, God has done and is going to do and is doing an incredible, an incredible work. You know, I find it interesting as you, you know, and, and I asked him this question or uh, to clarify to make sure I was hearing this correctly in the first hour, that so the heart shut down, people being beaten for going out trying to get their own groceries, and yet isn't it amazing how God God gives his favor upon his people to then have the freedom from the government, the sanction from the local authorities, to then say, well, you, you can go and take food to other people, and, and you can travel to do this, uh, despite the fact that they were doing these other things to other folks. Yeah. Uh, that, that's amazing to me. Yeah, it was interesting. We were able to send additional funds to our orphanage director so that he could go out and bless the community right around the orphanage with food as well. And, and yet people were not allowed to walk down the street. And uh, so it was interesting. And the, the nutrition center that you guys support, uh, we actually, different families within the church there 
decided to sponsor a meal at this orphanage down the street. And the same thing, they were allowed to go and sponsor a meal at an orphanage and cook and provide and share the gospel. And, and even at a time when everybody was so shut down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Craig, just uh, your, your, your ministry platform is through MANA, right? And I went on MANA's uh, website just to kind of get a feel for the work that MANA does. And, the, you know, the statistics were just mind-boggling to me. I'll just read you a couple of the, the stats that I saw. Um, 2.2 billion children um, are alive in that area. One billion live in poverty. One in three lack adequate shelter. One in four are malnourished. One in five live without clean water. One in two have no health care access. That's, that's, so behind all those stats, we're talking about millions upon millions of individuals. You know, stats are, are numbers without a name, right? But there's actually people um, that are living in dire circumstances. So how does how does MANA speak into that? What, what are the the prongs of MANA that kind of speak into those dire issues? Um, yeah, so as an organization, we work in 50 countries, about 225 ongoing projects. And what that means is the projects continue whether or not I'm on the ground because we have partners that are on the ground full time. Um, and those things are orphanages and nutrition centers, uh, schools, medical clinics, uh, digging water wells, um, all kinds of different projects, but all connected with local churches so that we not only meet people at their most basic, the most desperate physical need, but we meet them at the same time at the most desperate spiritual need. Um, and so those statistics, yeah, statistics can be a number without a name, and that is uh, one of the one of the difficulties when we start reading about billions of people, none of us can imagine that. Uh, but if we split the room here, we say everybody else, everybody over here, congratulations, you've got food and water and shelter and clothing, and you probably can hear about Jesus if you want to. Uh, the truth of the matter is, if we split the room this way, and we look at everybody from here over, uh, statistics show us, and, and, and our knowledge shows us that, I'm sorry, you probably don't. You don't have food, you don't have water, you don't have shelter. You gotta wake up every day and worry that your kid's gonna starve to death. And you don't have the hope of Jesus and you probably never will unless somebody over here goes to you. Um, talk about statistics uh, and numbers and I'm terrible with numbers, but I'm good. I'm good with people and I love people. And uh, I tell you some names. Talk about Raja and Asha. Sagar and Sangita and Ajay and these are people, Shweta, and these are people that so desperately need to hear this good news and they need their basic needs met. And we as a as a people, we as a country, we as a community of believers have access and ability like nobody ever has on the face of the planet to make an impact in their lives individually, one by one, until Revelation 7 happens. It's one of my favorite verses, man, this moment when all of us are going to be standing there with all of them, and God is going to look at all of us as one people worshiping Him. And the quicker we can get to where we see us as one people who desperately need to worship Him, the better off we all are. Absolutely. You know, uh, 
and, and, and we're connected to to uh, to you, and we're connected to your organization, MANA International. Uh, the 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 MANA International piece, as far as actually connecting to a food center, and, and some of you know this, some of you don't. Is we uh, part of our going global is we help fund a feeding station in Nepal, and so yeah, there's 30 plus kids in that area, plus the community around. So touching hundreds of people on a daily basis, we get a, to be a part of that, a small part of that, but still a part of that. And, uh, and you know, I, I, the way we got started with that was our children originally were the ones, they were doing a special offering for, I think it was a year that they were raising funds to help that organization, help that feeding center. And then the idea was when the year was over, then it was just over. And I remember when that ended, just, feeling shame, thinking how could it be that our children would have the, the, the heart and the kindness and the generosity to take their quarters and pennies and dollars, bring it together, and to, to go and see that other children across the world would be fed, and yet you and I, we didn't care. You know, you and I weren't doing anything about it. And so when that program, when that special offering came to an end, uh, and we talked about as leadership team, we were kind of like, how can we not? How can we not adopt this organization and, and provide in some small way to be a part of that? And so we, we did that, I believe, three years ago and uh, participated in that. I, I share that with you, again, just reminding you and letting you know of how I'm so amazed at what a large footprint you have. Uh, in this world. Uh, th that's the stories that, that Craig tells. We can also hear those from Gracie in Central America. We can hear those stories from missionaries who are serving in Africa. We can uh, hear that from friends of ours who have, or that are serving in South America, that are serving in Vietnam, that are serving in other areas of East Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a footprint there. Uh, hear that story uh, here in America, here in Springfield, dealing with women who are in crisis pregnancy, dealing with Native Americans who, uh, who are relegated onto a section of land and, and they're destitute and their souls are starved for the gospel. Hearing that story about just even dealing with the drug culture in Springfield and people that roam the streets and are homeless and uh, we are able to partner with them through Victory Mission. Dave's a part of that organization. That's what he does for a living. Uh, and, and so, you know, so many opportunities. And I, I just share, you know, way to go, Northbridge. Well done. Job well done. More to do, more to continue to do. We said two years ago that we'd be a church who would stand in the gap. We stand in the gap, not for not for because we're just social do-gooders, you know, hoping to get people better. Our message is not, oh, let's get people better educated and they'll, you know, rise to the occasion if they just have a better education. No, no, uh, we don't believe that's the case. We believe that if we can help people get educated, if we can help address food issues, if we can help address societal issues, that in the process that earns us the right to share the gospel so that we can address the greatest need that every human being has and that is their soul and where they spend eternity and so we've been able to do that with with manna international church i invite you during this season if uh if if you maybe the holy spirit just is, is whispering to you right now provoking you to maybe somehow you you have a desire not to partner on a greater level with manna than what we are 
Uh, I would invite you to grab, grab, grab Craig after service and talk to him. Don't, I'll just say this, don't say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start giving $10 extra and I want that $10 to go directly to MANA and you're writing that on a card and handing that to us because, because when, you, when you do that, it honestly is a logistical nightmare for Pam and for the team to have to try to spread out money. If, when you give to Going Global, you give to Going Global and, and those monies are needed to go there to go to all of our partners. If you sense a calling that you want to partner in a greater way with Craig, connect with Greg, Craig, not Greg, it's Craig, and, uh, and, and figure out the process to give directly to, to MANA, which is easy, it's easy to do, I promise you that, and begin doing that, okay? I, I invite you as your pastor to, to be looking for opportunities of how we can be generous, not just with Northbridge and through the ministries of Northbridge, but in other areas. I also would say this, I challenge you to be a person that you would be praying for Craig and praying for Mano. How can we be specifically praying? What are the top couple of things that we can be praying for you about during yeah. this season? So the shortest term thing, uh, we, uh, I, I fly back home tonight uh, to Fort Worth, Texas, uh, grab the family and Tuesday morning, uh, we fly to Raleigh, North Carolina, speaking in a brand new church to us. A church that contacted us and wanted to get involved with MANA. And so we're having a missions conference that lasts Wednesday through Sunday. So definitely you can be praying for that and for good connections there. Um, as you know, the job is big. And so we need all the partners we can get. Um, and then beyond that, uh, my plan, my hope, my prayer is to go to Nepal in June. Uh, to sort of stick my toe in the water and uh, for the first time since the end of 2019 to go and test it out uh, as far as you know how are we able to get in what are we able to do where are we able to go uh, and that's a little nerve-wracking because the country has opened and closed and I would rather not uh, get locked in there for months uh, as thousands of people did last year um, and, uh, and so hopefully I'll be able to go over there and see our partners and see our family and our friends and there and uh, hug Asha and Sagar and, um, and be able to witness while I'm there uh, in the midst of struggle. Um, and so you could definitely be praying, praying for me for that and yeah, for that to happen and also for me to be safe and, uh, and cared for while there. Craig, we love you. We love your family. We love your heart of how God is connecting you to us, how God's connecting you to people who are far from him in order to give them a, 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 a chance, a hope of hearing what eternal life is and, and what it is to live in the, the kingdom of heaven with King Jesus uh, as our Lord. And uh, what a privilege, what an honor it is to get to partner with you in that. And what I'm going to invite you to do is just ask you to, to come down to the, to the floor. Pastor Dave is going to join you there as well. And uh, church, if you make a commitment to be praying for, for Craig in the next few weeks, the next couple of months, I, I'm just going to invite you now to just stand to your feet. And, uh, you know, just as the Lord puts Craig, Manna, the stories you've heard on your mind, and you be faithful to, uh, to, to just to pray and to lift him up. Uh, in this moment, Pastor Dave's going to be praying for Craig and praying for these requests that he made known to us. So Dave? Yeah, just stand to your feet and, uh, and if you feel comfortable, I know usually what we've done historically is just come around and lay hands on, on Craig, but 
uh, we're, we're being more respectful in this in this day and age. But if you feel comfortable and just stretching out your hand towards Craig, and uh, I think that would be a, a very generous statement of, of just, hey, we're in this with you, okay? So let's pray for Craig. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for just bringing Craig into our family fellowship this morning to hear briefly what you're doing in his life. And Father, we thank you that uh, you have been so good um, towards Craig. It just amazes me, Lord, in these past 10 years or so in this man's life, how you have just moved in a mighty way. And Lord, we, we thank you, God, for all that. But Lord, we also want to thank you for things you have yet to do in his life. Um, things that, Lord, if he begins to uh, know those things and just blow them away. God, we believe that you are still um, just in the infancy stage of what you're doing in Craig's life and Jennifer's life as well. And we ask the Father that you would do for them exceedingly more than they could ever put together in a prayer. Father, we, we pray for safety for him and his family, for Jude, for Sarah, for Jennifer, um, as they join Craig on the road, traveling the United States, just sharing not only about manna, but also just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would put in his, into his path people that he might uh, share the gospel with stateside while he's waiting to go back to Nepal. We ask that, Lord, you give them travel mercies as they uh, make their way around the United States. But Lord, we pray for this upcoming uh, conference in North Carolina. We thank you that you provided a new um, partner for him, and we believe that more partners are yet to come. We ask the Father that you would anoint him, that he might speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that your grace would be heavily upon this man's life. Lord, we pray for his upcoming trip in June. Lord, that there are always going to be um, circumstances that need to be navigated. And we ask that you would go before him, that you would help him, that you would open doors of opportunity for him. But Lord, that where there have been places where um, danger may be there, God, we pray that you protect him from those things as well. But Lord, we, we praise you for we see the anointing of your hand upon this man's life. And we just ask that, God, that you would just move in a mighty way flood his soul with your presence and may his mind be at peace as he ministers in your name in Nepal. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.